And now please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. And we'll be studying verses 1 through 6 together today. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you're visiting today or you forgot your Bible, we have a copy of God's Word in the pew pocket in front of you, that blue Bible. And you'll find the text on page 1023. First John 4, looking at verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now I may be the odd man out in saying this, but I don't typically watch the news, especially the local news. Occasionally, I am forced to do so, Yesterday was one of those moments. It's a long story, but ultimately my Saturday morning started at the laundromat. And at the laundromat, you're at the mercy of whoever got there first. Well, clearly, someone who really likes the local news (laughs) uh, had made their way to the television first, and so I was suffering through the normal drivel of information about local food drives and traffic slowdowns and cats being saved from trees. But there was one thing that actually drew me in. I literally like put my stuff down and walked over to the TV. The newscaster led with, and I've looked up the report to make sure I said this accurately, counterfeit currency is spreading like wildfire in southwest Florida with at least 16 cases reported in the last month. He would go on to report that the Secret Service recovers, or say they recover, five to $7,000 of counterfeit money in southwest Florida every five business days. And that the number of cases typically increases around the holidays, specifically after Thanksgiving. Now, what is that dude for you. I'll tell you what it did for me. It made me want to check my wallet. I'm in southwest Florida. We're getting close to the holidays. That's an awful lot of money for the Secret Service to be meddling through every few weeks. Before the newscast, fake money was a remote possibility. After the newscast, fake money was a real and present threat. The text today elicits a similar response. Yet John's news bulletin carries with it 
eternally significant consequences. It's one thing to be out a few bucks. It's something else to miss heaven altogether. According to the text, there are individuals out there, and maybe even in here, that have been spiritually empowered to mislead you. your friends, and your family. Have you ever experienced the heartbreak of seeing someone walk away from the faith? How did that happen? Someone, one of these spirits, one of these false prophets, had seduced them. Have you ever felt the frustration of a loved one who just refuses to believe? Why? Humanly speaking, why? Because someone has convinced them otherwise. They've they've listened to something other than the truth. And practically, this is what John wanted to prevent. What's worse about the scenario here in 1 John 4 is that Error does not advertise itself. False teachers don't wear a sign that says false teacher. You know what? What makes it worse is they often do good things and they present themselves, as one author put it, as family-oriented, values-driven, model citizens, ever smiling, who happen to be in touch with just the kind of Jesus you would really want to follow. Their influence may already be on your bookshelf, in your social media feed, or regularly streamed to your phone or radio. You may not even know it. At least in John's congregation, Satan's counterintelligence operations had already snagged some. So he writes here to guard against future deception. And the heart of the text, the the central thrust of his concern is found in verse 1, which is clearly a call for discernment. Now, normally I would reserve any explanation of the text into the actual points of the sermon itself. But if you're going to understand this, you've got to get verse 1 first. Look at what John is admonishing us to do. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Paul's. Is anybody else confused when you read that? What does he mean by the spirits? (laughs) I mean, are these ghostly apparitions floating around? Furthermore, how do we test these things? At least that was the question that went through my mind. Is this calling for some kind of seance, ceremony? What does it mean to test the spirits? Clarity comes as we continue to read. Because whatever these spirits are, they need to be guarded against and evaluated because of the second half of the verse, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do you see the the juxtaposition of false prophets and spirits? The answer for us, and when we're wondering what these are, is John is speaking of the prevalence of, 
of these prophets, of these spiritual spokespersons. There were a a plethora of people who claimed to have some type of special access to the divine, a, a slew of spiritually empowered teachers. Whatever these religious leaders were propagating ultimately was empowered or influenced by some type of spiritual force or entity. And for John... The spirit is either, as we've seen throughout the entire book, of Satan or of God. So what he's ultimately calling us to do is to evaluate or be on the lookout for spiritual error or spiritual teachings. When he says, test the spirits, he is in essence saying, test that which is presented as spiritual. That which comes from the mouth or the pen of someone who claims to be a religious leader. Spirits are the spiritual realities motivating and empowering professed religious authorities or religious leaders. Just as all that glitters isn't gold, so also all that is spiritual isn't safe. That's essentially what John's warning. Not all spiritual things are good. And you know what? He's not just saying that there are a few bad things out there. He literally says there are many. John wanted them to be acutely aware of their dangerous position. Many religious charlatans had already defected from among them into the world. We saw that back in chapter 2, verses 18 to 23. Many were propagating error under the guise of, of truth. This isn't just a few fake $20 bills floating around. We're talking about a widespread operation of error was already at work at that time. And by the way, Satan's been printing this counterfeit currency for thousands of years now. It's made its way around. So, in light of that, John's readers and us have a responsibility to test. To test. To exercise spiritual discernment. But our text not only exhorts us to exercise spiritual discernment, but it tells us how to do this by basically giving us two tests. Two tests. The first is in verses 1 through 3. The second is in verses 4 through 6. Test 1. Clarity on Christ. Clarity on Christ. Spiritual truth as opposed to error, is clear on Christ. Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So, in light of the prevalence of these self-professed prophets of dubious origin, John admonishes them to test the truth by listening out for clarity regarding Jesus. And there's clearly here a positive and a negative aspect to this text. Verse 2 is the positive. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He wanted them to to test the content of their message. A, A religious leader who was from God as opposed to from Satan would openly confess that Jesus was the Christ who had come in the flesh. Their claim would be tested by their content. In other words, real prophets from God, true spiritual authorities clearly confessed Christ incarnate. 
I use all those C's to make it more memorable. (laughs) True prophets clearly confess Christ incarnate. That's what the text says. They're clear on Christ. Notice, who's he talking about here? Jesus. Christ. How? (laughs) Talking about the divine Savior and King incarnate. He entered into the human experience. Basically, the sum and substance of the message of a speaker of truth, someone who is actually authorized to speak on behalf of the Lord, will regularly focus on the Christ, who was God's chosen Savior for mankind, who entered into humanity fully and forever, thereby remedying sin through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, so man and God could be fully and finally reconciled. That is the sum and substance of the Christian message. And if that's not what you're hearing from your favorite religious teacher, it very well may be from the satanic realm. This stood in contrast. This message about Jesus Christ incarnate stood in contrast with the prevalent errors of the day. There were many who actually bought into the idea of Jesus, but they just didn't like the way it was defined. For those of you who love to take notes about obscure historical things, you'll love this. (laughs) Some of the prevalent errors listed are docetism. Docetism was the idea that Jesus was not human but a spirit. Another was called Serinthianism. Jesus was a human son of Mary and Joseph who was temporarily empowered by the Christ spirit. And then, of course, Judaism was still a major force in the day. They believed that there was a human Jesus, but they certainly wouldn't say that he was the Christ. They wouldn't mind saying Jesus in the flesh. Who cares? Jesus in the flesh. But Jesus Christ in the flesh? Absolutely not. False teachers get the person and work of Jesus wrong. And so spiritual authorities from God clearly confess Christ, but also spiritual authorities from God clearly confess Christ. Did you notice the difference between the two? There's a clear confession, not only clear content on Christ, but they clearly confess Christ. The word confess there, we've already seen earlier, it literally means to speak the same thing, to concede that which is factual or true. Now, that is its bare minimum definition, but when you look and see how it was used in the Greco-Roman world, it also could convey a profession of allegiance. Profession of allegiance. I didn't make that up, by the way. It came straight from a lexicon. A profession of allegiance. I know preachers can stretch words, but this is in there. (laughs) This isn't something to which they merely intellectually assented. Friends, be aware, please be confident that even when unclean spirits intellectually assent to the identity of Jesus, and they did it all through his earthly ministry. If you want examples, you can look at Mark one twenty four, Mark 3.11, Mark 5, 7, and 8. And if you want those references again, you can listen to the podcast. I want you to know that there's a world of difference between intellectual assent and genuine confession. I was just reminded of this a couple of years ago. We just made it through an election cycle. And I remember just two years ago, being on the back end of an election cycle, and I had never seen this before, but I found out that the campaign is older than 2016, where Donald Trump is elected president, 
and I don't really care if you voted for him or not. But the reality of it was this. After he was voted for president, there was a whole slew of people wearing these t-shirts that said, not my president. Do you remember that? There was a whole hashtag movement, not my president. The hashtag still is alive and well. Every time he does something that people perceive as foolish, hashtag, not my president. Factually, they know that he is the president of the United States. There's no denying that. And yet emotionally, volitionally, he is not their president. I want you to know that there are plenty of people around, religious people, who will concede and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that he was Lord, that he was God. But he's not their Lord. He's not their God. Friends, please do not fall into the error that just because you can intellectually communicate that Jesus is Lord, that you are actually of God. The person who is truly of God makes this their profession of allegiance. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12.3, I remember this passage confused me as a kid, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And I remember thinking when I would read that as a, as a kid, of course, I, yeah, I can say Jesus is Lord. Anybody can say Jesus is Lord. He's not talking about being able to verbalize those three words. He's talking about being able to meaningfully proclaim that Jesus is in charge of my life. I've submitted to him everything that I have rests in his hands. He is in charge. He is Lord point is that spiritual authorities empowered by God proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ loud and proud. He is their battle cry, their swan song, their pledge of allegiance. Confession is open association and proclamation. Now, here's where we get to a negative test because right, if you keep reading, you get to verse 3 and notice, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Notice here that there are spiritual entities out there who will empower people or motivate religious leaders to not confess Jesus. Now, here, even though the incarnation is implied, notice that he doesn't say Jesus is the Messiah. The point is that if you want to recognize a false teacher, you can just recognize the fact that they don't even confess Jesus at all. They just conveniently leave him out. Forget just getting the doctrine wrong. They just overlook it altogether. When they do profess him, they get it wrong. But some just won't confess him at all. They don't always deny him, but they'll just downplay him. They don't always oppose him, but they will overlook him or obscure him. They may talk from the Bible, but Jesus Christ being the incarnate Savior from sin is just not what you hear when you listen to them explain it. I think this is where we need to be the most careful. This is where I'm actually the most pastorally concerned. Because you can see some dude in a slick suit and shiny hair holding, I mean, like, just dressed like I am. Maybe not the shiny hair. And this isn't all that slick of a suit. But somebody is dressed nice, their shoes are polished or whatever, and they actually will hold a Bible. 
When you watch their television program on TV, there will actually be a Bible verse at the bottom of that thing. But you know what happens? They're talking from the Bible, but they're not talking about Jesus being a savior from sin. They're talking about how to make your life better. They're giving you moral self-help lessons. And all the while, it's obscuring and downplaying Jesus. When you hear someone telling you, oh, you have everything that you need to be. If you just believe in yourself, you'll be able to overcome and you're going to have a great existence. This is a great life. Enjoy life now. You should be concerned. Because that person hasn't passed, not only have they not passed the positive test, as this is their allegiance, this is who they're professing, but they actually downplay the need to believe in an incarnate Jesus. John ratchets up the intensity of human. He says, look, If you hear this, you need to understand something. This person, the person who downplays Jesus, the person who overlooks Jesus, the person who obscures Jesus, they are from the Antichrist. That is such strong language. They're not just saying, oh, they messed up. They're saying that they were actually empowered by the spirit of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 8 is a fascinating passage. And it explains that even though the Antichrist has yet to be revealed, he is already powerfully at work. And you would think that the Antichrist just speaks against Jesus. No, sometimes he just speaks other than Jesus. And notice how John ends this. He, he says, guys, I want you to get this. Jesus warned that this was going to happen. Paul warned that this was going to happen. John had warned that this was going to happen. But John adds these words at the end of verse 3. You heard that the Spirit was coming and now is in the world already. See those two words? Now, already. It's not that the fake money could come. It is already in circulation. And John says to us today, spirituality may abound, but all that's godly isn't good. You better check your currency. Beloved, it's our responsibility to identify and expose. I say our, like us, not just our as in me and the other elders here. It is our collective responsibility to identify and expose damnable doctrine to recognize and repudiate anti-Christian assertions. How? How do you do this? Seminary degree? An online Bible course? No. It is being clear on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Next time you go to a Christian bookstore or you listen to a religious radio program, or you see another TV preacher, or you look up a local church website, apply this test. And I say this especially to those of you who are visiting with us. We're not the only church in town that preaches Jesus, but I assure you that not every church in town is preaching Jesus. Does it pass the first test? Is this ministry clear on Christ? Let me be more practical by walking you through this. I I would break up this question, is it clear on Christ, uh, with two sub-questions. Here's two ways that you could evaluate whatever it is. Your book, your radio program, your favorite TV preacher. Is the information about Jesus Christ accurate? Does it present him as the only, I mean, does it present him as only divine or merely human? Those are dangerous. Only divine, if they ever talk about his humanity. Merely human, they never talk about his deity. They better be hitting on both. 
Do they profess him to be, as Paul says in 1 Timothy, the one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus? Have you read their doctrinal statement? Do do you see this in their teaching material? Do they explain him as their only hope? And, And friends, this isn't just for evaluating teachers out there. This is a way you can evaluate your own heart. I would ask, I have to ask. Is he your Lord? Have you professed allegiance to him? Have you done that? Forget the teachers for a moment. Is it just an intellectual thing with you or is this an experiential thing? Have you actually understood why Christ came and then said, he is the only way that I could possibly be saved? If you have some question about that or you're not sure about that, there is no need for you to exercise any doctrinal discernment test on anything else other than your own heart. Because, friends, you will not be saved apart from exclusive allegiance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. So the first part of this test is so important. Is the information about Jesus Christ accurate? But there's a second question that we could ask to make this more clear. Is the emphasis on Jesus Christ appropriate? The first question is, is the information accurate? The second is, is the emphasis appropriate? Does Jesus Christ incarnate seem to be the most important thing going on there? Is this what they're all about? Being about Jesus Christ incarnate is different than being spiritual or talking about God or using Bible verses to address contemporary needs or doing charitable things. Do they overlook him? Do they obscure him? Do they object to him? Or do they emphasize him? I cannot emphasize this enough. But time will force me to move on. Friends, it's not the information one that I'm that concerned about. It's the emphasis one. Because I know of people... I've already met here who are associated with us, who visit, who are looking for something, and Jesus does not seem to be very high on their list. And they may be deceived. So spiritual truth is clear on Christ. That's the first test. But there is also another. Spiritual truth is confirmed through the apostles. Test two, confirmation through the apostles. Now, that may sound weird to you, but you're going to see this is straight from the passage. Look at verses four through six. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Grammar geeks could recognize that at the beginning of each one of these verses, he puts a different pronoun. You've got you, verse 4, then them, verse 5, and then we, verse 6. There's three different groups of people that he wants to walk you through. The first one, he's speaking to his original audience, and he wants to encourage them Because this matter of spiritual discernment could be an overwhelming one. 
Because when you're thinking about the difference between heaven and hell and doctrinal error and truth, you could think, who's sufficient for these things? Who could actually do this? And John says to them, and in a very encouraging way, I am convinced, little children, that you, emphatic pronoun, are from God and have overcome them. You've already overcome them. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the false teachers. You've overcome them as evidenced by the fact that you do believe in Jesus. You have professed allegiance in him alone. This is an amazing truth. And how did that happen? How did you ever figure that one out? Was it your intellectual prowess? Was it your theological skill and acumen? No. He says, you already overcame because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He says, the whole reason you were ever able to overcome in the first place is because the Holy Spirit came upon you and convinced you of these realities. This is such a great reminder. The new birth blessed them with the spiritual eyes to see, whereas it was formerly impossible. You look at 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 14. Paul says that we were blind. We couldn't see the glory of Christ in the gospel. And yet the Spirit made that possible for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 emphasize a similar thing. And so Paul wants them to be confident because he says, look, you already have positionally within you the the Holy Spirit that you need to help you overcome. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. That passage, which so often gets taken out of context, is actually about spiritual discernment. Yes, God can help you at your next track meet or whatever, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about the Spirit being in you, enabling you to see truth. Every one of you who have been convinced of the reality of Jesus have done so because the Holy Spirit made it possible within you. His ministry is already at work. And this is a stunning contrast with the second group of people that we see in verse 5. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Here's the contrast, right? You've got God's children who have the Spirit, and now you've got these other group of people, these false teachers who are dominated by the world. You've got God's children and the world's children. And the world's children, they languish under the dominance of their antichrist presuppositions. They're like fish who don't even know they're wet. They're unaware of and unable to live on the land above. And John explains that these false teachers and these propagators of anti-Christian error gain such a following because they have home field advantage. You ever wonder why it is that some people who you know to be religious fakes have such a wide following? How is it that they're so popular? John says it's home field advantage. They're of the world, and they speak the world's language, and it resonates with the world. These antichrist presuppositions, the idea of minimizing sin and maximizing self, unsaved people love that stuff. Nobody wants to feel guilty about their sin. Nobody wants to think that they have to rely on something outside themselves. Having been born into this sin-cursed world, whether it be our friends or family, they are tuned in to spiritual error, and they resonate with it on account of the fact that this is where they come from. This is where we all come from. You know, this whole passage here is eerily similar to the acoustical phenomenon known as sympathetic resonance. 
Do you remember that from physics in high school, sympathetic resonance? The best way that I can explain it is when a pianist plays like a note on a piano, similar notes will vibrate because they share some harmonic likeness. Now, I remember hearing this in science class, and I didn't know if it was true, so I actually came into the church auditorium on Friday afternoon to test this out. It actually works. Here's what I did. I put my right foot on the third pedal, which takes off the dampers, so that all of the strings on the piano, nothing's touching. All right, and then I took the C, middle C, and hit it while my finger was on other notes. And guess what? When I would hit middle C, I could feel the C on my left hand vibrate. Why? Because the sound waves will actually resonate with other Cs on the keyboard. That's where we get the term when we say something resonates with us. You ever used that before? It rings true in me. There's a connection that's there. John wants us to understand that the false prophets and the anti-Christian teaching resonates with the world. The curse of sin tuned us all into its frequency. And so when false teachers speak in accordance with that organized system of material values, those who are born into this world system not only hear the false teachers, but our text says they listen to them, they obey them. The word hear there is often translated obey. However, those who are from God have been retuned by the Spirit and will resonate with God's truth. You know that feeling? You ever had that before? I don't speak about people's feelings much, so you better listen up. You ever hear somebody teaching or you read something and you just go, something's off. Or do you ever hear something and you think like it's over your head and you're like, I don't know what he said, but I think I want to know more. (laughs) That's spiritual resonance. Those who are from God have been retuned by the Spirit. They resonate with God's truth. So here's the question then. How do we know that we're actually resonating with the Spirit as opposed to just having drank too much coffee in the morning? I mean, because anybody could say, well, I resonate with this truth, and I resonate with that truth. Well, the positional reality of being indwelt by the Spirit gives way to the practical test of confirmation of apostolic doctrine. And you see that in verse 6. We... Or from God, you've got a new group of pronouns. We, you Christians, they false teachers, we apostles are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You say, Justin, how do you know that we refers to the apostles, their prophetic representatives, those guys who were commissioned by Christ and not just all Christians. Well, because he already addressed Christians specifically, the hoi polloi, the regular everyday believer, in verse 4. Then, furthermore, I know that he's talking about spiritual authorities here because he's doing an intentional contrast between the false prophets, the religious authorities of verse 5, and the religious authorities of verse 6, the we. And this is further confirmed by how John uses the first person personal pronoun, we, in the book. Remember the first three verses? You could just turn back a page and check it out. First John 1, 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Well, who did that? Who touched with their hands the word of life and saw him with their very own eyes? Was it all Christians everywhere? Nope. It was the apostles. They were the ones who had this special access. And that's why he says in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. This is so important. Please think with me for a moment. John says that apostolic authority is a key factor in discerning spiritual truth because whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. The simplest way I can say it is that God's truth comes from God's chosen representatives. It doesn't just come from any Tom, Dick, or Harry that claims to be from God. That's going to get us at an impasse. If I say I'm from God and then you say you're from God, now what? Don't be enamored by just the sales pitch that someone claims. Don't be surprised by that. Of course they claim to be from God. We need to remember the lesson here. God's truth comes from God's chosen representatives. It doesn't come from any religious entity that claims to be from God. It doesn't matter how pretty their buildings are, how old their organization is, how much money they donate to the community. You shouldn't be enamored by the beauty of their robe or the sheen of the suit or the eloquence of the voice. None of these things matter. He says, remember that God's truth comes from God's chosen representatives. By the way, even though I'm a called preacher, I am not the chosen representative of God. I'm not an apostle. I haven't seen Jesus with my own eyes. I haven't touched him with my own hands. So who then is this representative? It's the apostles. Well, where are they at? They're dead. But guess what? Their writings live on. And so the authority of God lives on. It comes from the apostles and the prophets whose writings have been captured in the 66 books of the Bible. So today, we listen to the apostles as we devote ourselves fully and unconditionally to their inspired words in the Bible. Do you see the objectivity here? Does this help you appreciate why we're always trying to point you back to your Bible, even in a Sunday morning gathering? Now, I understand that for some of you who are new believers, maybe you're a non-Christian you probably have outstanding questions about, well, how did we end up then with these 66 books of the Bible? I think that's a great question. How do we know there aren't apostles today? That's another great question. Both of which I don't have time to answer right now. But I don't mind answering them. I mean, as evidenced by the fact that I brought them up to you, I don't mind answering them. So you can send me an email. I'll point you to a book. Attend a seminar. That's what we do these things for. But don't get distracted. In the meantime, John says that God's people will sympathetically resonate with his chosen representatives, just as the world's people sympathetically resonate with its chosen representatives. This this is affirmed by our Lord Jesus when he said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. For God's children, the Bible rings true. Are you ready to experiment with this for a minute? What I want to do here is I'm going to strike a couple of popular religious notes, and I want to see if they resonate with you or if they seem off-key. You ready? All right. First one. 
Here we have the case of a popular talk show host. There's a patchwork of her own self-made religion from strands of Christianity, humanism, Catholicism, New Ageism, Eastern mysticism, and more. You've probably seen her on television. She regularly invites mystics and spiritualists and pseudo-spiritual leaders and teachers on her show. And I even heard at the car wash this week someone commending her teachings. She was literally arguing on the friend, the phone, you need to be listening to this woman. Not kidding. It was obnoxious. What does she believe? And I quote, Real power comes from knowing who we are. And that begins with looking inside ourselves in silence. I've always believed you really need no leaders, no guides, just yourself. You have all your own best answers. What what you are trying to find is already there. And then notice this biblical illusion. Just be still and know it. If you didn't figure it out, her name starts with an O. All right, let me give you another example. In this particular movement, it started in the 1820s as a teenage boy is confronted by an angel named Moroni who tells him to go to a particular location and dig up two gold plates filled with Egyptian hieroglyphics. But he couldn't read them, so he was given magic eyeglasses that would enable him to read the tablets. The tablets revealed that the Americas were not founded by Christopher Columbus, but by a prophet named Lehi some 600 years earlier. And these tablets, once translated, would be called the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. Does that seem off to anybody? Like, as you hear me say that, is anybody just going, Bleh. <laughs> That is not resonating with me. Why? Why doesn't it resonate? Why do we identify a problem? It's because in both of these instances, they have ignored or added to the apostolic word, the inspired scripture. Clearly, whatever it is they believe, it did not come from this book. That's how you know. Are they carefully trying to trace their argument, their logic, whatever it is they're positing back to the pages of scripture? So we verify something is true or false from God or the devil by looking to the scriptures alone. We, we have to continue to subject all truth to God's word. Of course, we do this for ourselves. And you know what? I think, actually, as I'm preaching this, I bet you every one of you who are truly saved are thinking of ways in your own life in which you may have been influenced and you're trying to exercise discernment. But listen, friends, let's not be selfish with the application this morning. God would not just have us evaluate spiritual truth for our lonesome. I think the better way to apply this text is also for others and for our church. We need to be evaluating, testing the spirits, if you will, in this way as a church. Currently, this is why we read the word privately and corporately as a group of believers. This is why we try to sing the word in our church gatherings. This is why we speak the word to one another in small groups and in personal conversations. This is why we teach and preach the word in our children's classes, our seminars, and in this service. And friends, if we ever stop, if you ever noticed anything trending away from that, please sound the alarm. 
by the way, you want to start packing out this building? We just need to do a little less of that. Because God's truth resonates with God's people, and there aren't that many of them. (laughs) The world's truth resonates with the world. Martin Luther said it this way, when we speak from the Spirit of God, the majority snore. They do. But that doesn't matter. Because we're called to proclaim as a church God's truth. We. So apply this for the church. But not only apply it for the church. Apply it for those that you know. Don't do this for yourself. But think also about those that you love. Parents, you need to be careful as to what churches or books or teachers you allow to influence your children. The same is true of friends and neighbors and fellow church members. I don't know if it was in the late 80s, early 90s, but you remember that campaign, Friends Don't Let Friends Drink and Drive. Remember that? That's a good little slogan. I would just update it for our purposes. Friends Don't Let Friends Ingest Satanic Poison. Seriously. If you know that someone has been ensnared in some type of doctrinal error, you just going to say, well, that's, that's truth for them, this truth. No. John is saying that we bear the responsibility to make sure that other people haven't bought into the lie. Now, let's be just uber practical for a moment. If you do have someone who's been ensnared in some type of doctrinal error, guess what? They believe that. <laughs> and you're not just going to say, well, my preacher said on Sunday this, and you're wrong. It doesn't work that way. Be kind, be gentle, be aware, and be judicious. I will repeat that again. Be kind, be gentle, be aware, and be judicious. And probably that last one's the most important because I don't want a bunch of heresy hunters leaving the doors on, like right now and then like calling friends and saying, well, your church doesn't believe the exact same thing as my church. No, that's not the point. The point is, do they get the gospel right? Do they get Jesus right? Or are they holding to the authority of the word? If they have a different view of the millennium, please let that one go. But there are serious Things for which we must contend with everything we've got because it's the difference between heaven and hell. Some of you are probably thinking, man, this is awful negative and judgmental. (laughs) Um, I just would remind you that we exercise discernment like this in every area of our life. And we don't call it negative or judgmental. I mean, you go to the grocery store and you test avocados. Don't you? I've never seen anybody just buy an avocado. They're always squeezing them. (laughs) You test mattresses. You test new cars. You test restaurants. You test doctors. And nobody says, that's negative or judgmental. If you would test those things, why wouldn't you test spiritual teachers? Whether they be in person, in television program, or in print. Let us not then give up on truth. Don't let things spiritual or godly get a free pass. This isn't negative. This isn't judgmental. This is sensible. Friends, look, funny money is everywhere, and so are false prophets. That's just the reality. So what do we do? We exercise discernment. How do we discern? 
How do we test? I find the parallels between the money thing and the doctrine thing striking. If I wanted to test a $100 bill, I would take it out of my pocket, I would hold it up to the light, and I would look clearly for the image of Benjamin Franklin. Pretty simple process. If I want to evaluate spiritual truth, I take it out, I hold it up to the light of God's Word, and I look clearly for the image of Jesus Christ. It's a two-step test. When he says, test the spirits, when he says, discern spiritual truth from spiritual error, you're asking two very simple questions. Is it clear on the person and work of Christ? Is it confirmed by the apostolic word? Let me offer a few practical takeaways from this passage. And maybe you could just pick one and act on it this week. Three practical lessons. First, these are dangerous days, so look out. These are dangerous days, so look out. Friend, you may have already been deceived, as evidenced by the fact that you are not now currently relying on Jesus with everything within you. You think you're a good person. You think you're a moral person. You think you've done some good religious rituals in the past. Friends, you've been deceived. Look out. The truth is only Jesus can save you. The divine human Jesus bridged the gap between God and man, and everyone who repents of their sin and relies on him alone can truly be saved. Look out. And I say that not only to our non-Christian friends who may be visiting, but I say that also to those of you who are here, regular, faithful. This bad teaching may already be in your home, on your radio, tuned to your TV, in your social media feed. I don't know, but look out. Second lesson, doctrine is important, so study up. Doctrine is important, so study up. Read the word for yourself. Hold what you hear and read up to the light of Scripture, like the Bereans You remember them in Acts? Who after they heard the apostle Paul of all people searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. Study. Study the scriptures. Study specifically the person and work of Jesus. And if you don't know where to start, please talk to one of the elders. We'd be happy to give you a book recommendation. We'd be happy to lead you in further study of gospel truth. There's a third lesson. The battle will continue, so settle in. The battle will continue, so settle in. Friends, you may have already overcome, but many around you still languish under damnable doctrine Satan's counterintelligence strategy will increase in intensity until Jesus returns. The Bible says that over and over again. And so I would say, settle in. Don't just try to do this by yourself. Be a part of a church, not just at it. Let us care for you. You understand that one of the ways in which Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, intended for you to battle against truth wasn't just through your personal study of God's word, but it was also through the interpersonal involvement of his people. Read Ephesians 4, 11 
down through the next few verses. And it talks about pastors have been given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And then he explains while that's going on that the people should be ministering to one another, building up one another in the body so that they could be spiritually stable, not being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. You don't get spiritual stability, according to Ephesians 4, just from studying. You get it from studying with other believers who will also speak the truth and love to you. But some have taken on such an independent mentality, like it's going to be me versus all the heretics in the world, me and my radio program and my study Bible, and I'll take it all. And God says, no, you won't be able to sustain that. Yes, you look to truth for yourself, but you do it in fellowship with other people in the church. And by the way, with the leadership of other pastors. I may have downplayed my role as a pastor earlier in saying that I'm not an apostle, but please don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying that the role of a pastor is not important because even though it is our collective responsibility to fight for doctrine, it is the pastor's and elder's special responsibility to protect the sheep, not just from worldliness, but also from worldly thinking, from damnable doctrine, and that is why we study so. Let us shepherd you, care for you. You have a question about something? You're unsure about somebody you're hearing on the radio? You've got this book that somebody gave to you and it seems really cool and you want to check it out? Look, just leverage the pastoral gifts that have been given to you in a local church setting like this. Settle in. My prayer for you comes from Jude 24 to 25. I don't do a formal benediction very often, but I will today. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.